Well, good morning, everyone. So glad to see your beautiful faces here this morning. Um, <clears throat> so um, this week, our church has so many neat opportunities only because we have such servants of the Lord here. And I just want to thank you guys for being servants of the Lord. Rick and John, that you bring um, music and and uh, Tom, that you provide all of the uh, service that you do. Tom, this week, went to um, a meeting of session and um, represented us and I think is going to, at some point, bring us a little bit of information back. He serves on the mission committee there. And so thank Tom for that. And I mean, just as I look around, Pastor and Caroline, we, we are so grateful. And thank you that you're making our rooms more beautiful, <laughs> Cheryl. So everyone here, it seems, and Bonnie, you bring us a, a good word every day. And um, the Moffats take care of so many things in this church. It's amazing. So as I look around, it is remarkable that each one of you are doing the things that God has called you to. And I forgot Kathy, and Kathy does so much in all that she does here. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for this beautiful morning. What a gracious and loving God you are. Father, we, uh, we acknowledge and know that there is turmoil going on throughout the world, and our hearts are broken and grieved for those people um, in Ukraine and China and other places where turmoil has just become exacerbated. And those here in the United States that are suffering with uh, injustices and inequities. We ask you, Lord, to cause your church to become a very bright light as the, as the world dims and becomes darker, that the shining light of your truth and your great salvation would be upon our lips, Lord, and that we would not hesitate, we would not be timid, and we would not be ashamed of the gospel. Father, we ask you to bless and uh, direct us in this ministry before you today in our church service that we might... Um, that we might be filled up with you, but, Lord, that we might glorify you, Lord. We praise and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Just a really good word of encouragement to you today in this reading. Dynamic and dedicated. Stand fast in the Lord. Uh, a bar of raw steel may be purchased for a few dollars, but when that bar of steel has been thrust into the fires and processed. When it becomes tempered and forged and made into tiny watch springs for expensive watches, it is worth thousands of dollars. Fire in the skilled hands of the master artisan made the difference, enhancing the value. And just as the sun, by its heat and light, performs a thousand and thousands of miracles in the days in our plant kingdom, God, through the refining fire of his spirit, performs thousands of miracles a day in our spiritual realm. His regenerating power can take the dull and ordinary things of our lives, even the burnt-out ashes of our past, and forge them into something useful, beautiful for his purposes. Hope for today. 
God is, in, is still in the business of raising up dry bones and making beautiful things from the ashes. And the same God who called forth Lazarus can take what is dead in your life and make it alive again.
of the all-sufficiency of our God, that, <clears throat> that though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So bye. 
Testament reading today comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about his, this life on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. you'll join me now in a responsive reading. Lord Jesus, think on me and purge away my sin. From earthborn passions set me free and make me pure within. Jesus, Lord Jesus, think on me with many a care oppressed. Let me be your loving servant and taste your promised rest. Lord Jesus, think on me, nor let me go astray. Through darkness and perplexity, point the heavenly way. Lord Jesus, think on me, that when the flood is past, I may bring the eternal light to see and share thy joy at last. Let us pray. Lord, all belongs to you. You've created it. You've put it out there, and you've entrusted it to us. Lord, you do call for us to give back, to give back freely, to give openly, and to share with others so that, as you have shared with us. So we ask that the gifts that we've given today, that they be blessed, 
and that that you will provide the wisdom on how they are used and that be to further your kingdom and follow the the teachings of your son this we ask in his name amen This has been an unusual week for actually a, a couple of weeks. Um, uh, Caroline and I have just been, there's just been an overwhelming prayer burden for Ukraine. I've, it's, I've never, never had that kind of prayer burden before. I've you know, certainly had burdens of prayer many times, but uh, this has just been overwhelming. And I don't, I don't know why. I just have to say, okay, Lord. Um, that, that's 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 the way it is, and I'll obey you and do what you do what you ask. But uh, we've just been praying and praying and praying and calling out to God um, on behalf of uh, this. I, I think it's a uh, it, it's an it's a watershed moment uh, for us as a nation. I believe you know that, um, and, and for the whole world. I think for the whole world, it's it's a very significant uh, time. So anyway. Um, we're going to talk today about uh, the, what I've entitled the post-Diluvian world. Diluvian mean the flood. So it's the time after the flood, and, uh, and it's Noah and his son. So I, again, as we've been doing, I'm not going to read the whole chapter uh, ahead of time, but we'll pick it up in sections. Then God, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his, this, his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So, again, God is repeating the phrase that we had in chapter 1, of being fruitful and increasing on the earth, um, and that their job is to repopulate. Remember, we've got, at this point, we have eight people on the earth. Um, Noah and his wife, and then three sons and their wives, and that's it. Uh, so it's a, it's a brand new beginning, but sin is not taken care of, but there is, you know, as we find out soon, uh, another interesting thing in this that, um, is that there's no mention anywhere of the names of the wives of Noah or of his sons. 
The, the sons are given, the, the men's names are given, but the wife, wives' names are not given, so we have no idea who they were. Uh, but it all goes back to Genesis 1.26, Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so uh, this is, you know, that was the initial um, admonition given to man to populate the earth. And, and now with these eight, uh, this, re, this command is then given, repopulate the earth. Also we see in this the admonition to capital punishment. Uh, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. And so uh, the whole institution of capital punishment, that if somebody murders somebody else, then <clears throat> that man would take their, their life as well. So an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the lex talionis uh, in, in the Old Testament. Um, Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. So the principle is set up that because, and the reason for it is that man is made in the image of God. And so in killing a human being, a murder demonstrates contempt for God. Um, I, I think of that with this, you know, whole Ukraine crisis as well. Uh, you know, it's just wholesale murder of innocent people. And, and God is going to require, he's going to, he's going to repay. We don't know how, but he will. So human life remains under the protection of God since men were made in God's image. And so man has a very exalted place. Um, in, in God's creation. And since God, um, human beings are made in God's image, they are all worthy of honor and respect. And this provides the basis for, you know, <clears throat> for our, <clears throat> what we do on this earth is that man is a special creation whom God has created. And they're not to be murdered or accursed. And man has an exalted place in the creation. And that's where we start. Um, and we see that, as I've mentioned before, I've, you know, I've done a lot of traveling in the Middle East, and what I see when, when people turn away from God, that there's also a turning away from uh, the concept of man made in the image of God, and in the special place of mankind. And you see a lot of, uh, you know, we're seeing it now in, in Ukraine, but we're seeing a... Uh, man, the exalted position of man is lowered. It's kind, it's kind of funny because, or interesting, because here man is a sinner, and in that we're, you know, we, we have a less exalted position, but, but then God exalts man in terms of, you know, they're made in the image of God, so we are important in God's eyes. Man is very important in God's eyes. Um, and, but I see so many times in other countries, a lack of um, care for human life. And whenever there's a, you know, a turning away from God, there's also a turning away from the importance of life. Um, I think of that you know, often with abortion in the United States. That, you know, the, the problem is not abortion. The problem is that human life is, is, is not sacred um, in, in, every, you know, in every context. And, I, you know, I, I still, I'm just, 
appalled sometimes that mothers taking the life of their own baby. I mean, to me, that's like, how, how could we get there as a nation? How could we do that where that's okay and even exalted sometimes? Um, I don't know. So anyway, God establishes that men um, are, you know, you know that men made in the image of God and we are not to take human life. Um, and it's kind of interesting, in Numbers chapter 35, um, in the Old Testament, there were cities of refuge set up. So the principle is, don't take human life, and that if somebody takes the life of another person, then you are to take their life. But in cases of accidental uh, murder, you know, or what we call manslaughter, um, then God set up cities of refuge so that they would, um, if, if somebody accidentally killed somebody, they could flee to one of these cities of refuge. In Numbers 35, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. They will be places of refuge from the avenger, so that a person accused of murder may not die before he stands trial before the assembly. Now, they would still have to stand trial, and if it turns out that they were, you know, faking it, that they really did, it really was premeditated murder, then they would be, you know, they would face uh, capital punishment. But, but it's kind of interesting that in ancient Israel, um, there were no prisons and no police force. I hadn't really thought of that much, you know, at this point anyway. Uh, therefore, the family had the responsibility to exact justice. And this is still practiced in la large parts of the Middle East, and it's what's called um, honor killing. And if somebody, you know, <clears throat> killed somebody in your family, then it was incumbent on the family to avenge the blood of that person who, or, or if, uh, for example, if a daughter is violated and she's raped, then um, the, either the brother or an uncle or somebody in the family, it was their obligation to go and kill that other person. And that's still practiced a lot in the Middle East now. And, and it's, there's been, I, I know in Turkey, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of controversy around this because there, there are laws, you know, and, but yet there's, especially in the eastern part of Turkey, um, people are still doing that. There's still this honor killing, and it can create a lot of tension with the legal system. Um, so, also in this, kind of interesting, man is not to, you know, man's uh, killing of another person is avenged, but then it says everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. And so, uh, the killing of animals to eat is, is, is okay but not human beings. So it gives you the contrast between um, the humankind and the animal world. Okay, then verse eight. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living thing, creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I established, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. 
Never again will there be food, a flood, I'm sorry, to destroy the earth. So God makes a covenant with man. And a covenant is a, a compact or an agreement between two parties. And some of those covenants that we see through the Old Testament, there were seven of them in the Old Testament, seven covenants, and some of them were conditional covenants. I will do this if you do this. And others were unconditional. I'm, I'm going to do it. This is one of those unconditional covenants, okay? God doesn't say, if you're good, you know, and if you do right, I won't destroy the earth by a flood. He says, I am not going to destroy the earth with a flood anymore. It's unalterable, uh, permanently binding, and it's a, you know, it, it's a relationship between God and man. So, God enters then into a covenant with all mankind, all living creatures, that God would not destroy the earth, now listen to this, with a flood anymore. Okay? Doesn't say that he's not going to destroy the earth again. Because we find in, in, uh, later on that um, he, in actuality that's going to happen. But not with a flood. Um, and so in 2 Peter chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So we know from Scripture, in this, in this case, in 2 Peter, we also see it in the book of Revelation, that there is going to be a time when, when there will be a destruction by fire. goes on, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about, and listen to this, the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping his, with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So we see that God will, even though he's not going to destroy the earth by a flood, it says that he will destroy it. In the end, there's going to be created a new heaven and a new earth. And the old heaven and earth are going to fade away. They're going to be destroyed by fire. We don't know what that means. I mean, maybe it's a nuclear holocaust. We don't know. Uh, but we know God's word is true. So it's going to happen. We just don't know how it's going to happen. <clears throat> On to verse 12. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. And the word that's used in the Hebrew is a, is a word that's used, can be used in a general sense of a bow. Um, and so like, a, like an archer's bow, you know, a, a bow of bronze. And it's that same word that's used for God will send a rainbow on the earth. Um, and it's interesting. I, you know, it's interesting to me that it doesn't matter where you go, 
When people see a rainbow, there's a sense of hope. Did you have that when you were a kid? I mean, you see a rainbow and you go, well, you know, and somehow it's a sign of hope and, and renewal. And why is that? Well, because God established it that way. God established that, it, that every time we see a rainbow after a, you know, after a rainstorm, that it would produce hope in us. Um, it's interesting to me. I mean, even, though, even those who don't know God have no relationship with the Lord, they have hope when they see a rainbow. Now, we don't know whether there were rainbows before this time. Um, it could be, remember the, the, the canopy theory <clears throat> would say that there wasn't rain on the earth before uh, the flood came, and we don't know, but it could be that there, there, were, there were rainbows, but now God gives it a special significance that there would no longer be uh, a flood on the earth. So, verse 18, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, twice now that, that's mentioned, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. Now, we don't know the time frame. We don't know when this took place. How much time had transpired since they came out of the ark. Um, but obviously it was at least three years because it takes three years for the grapes to form on a grapevine. And there, there weren't any grapevines. You know, I mean, everything was destroyed. So they had to have, um, it says he... He planted a vineyard, and it takes a while. So there's some time here before it takes place, uh, at least three years. Shem, Ham, and Japheth were at least 100 years old when they went into the ark. They spent one year on the ark, so they're at least 104 by this time. Okay? You know, still teenagers. Um, <laughs> but then it talks about Noah's drunkenness. And it, it, it's interesting to me that nowhere is, is this explained or excused or condemned or anything. There's no opinion given on this drunkenness of Noah. Um, so we don't know how, what, how God thought about it, but it's just presented as a matter of fact. Uh, but it doesn't sound like someone who was blameless. <laughs> just, that's the only thing we could say. You know, Noah was a righteous man, and this kind of looks like it's a little bit of a departure from this righteousness. But there's a huge uh, issue here, and that is, what was the sin of Ham? Why is Ham uh, singled out, and why is you know why was this such a problem? Um, and. I think probably the best explanation, there's a lot of speculation about what Ham's sin was in this, but I think it's that he discredited his, discredited his father by seeing his father's nakedness and then telling his brothers about it. So it showed kind of a, a sense of um, not holiness and, and maybe kind of making fun of his dad or something like that. 
Um, and others have said that maybe Noah's wife was also there, or, his, uh, or Ham's stepmother. We don't know what the circumstances are. Um, and so he saw both his father and his stepmother naked. We don't know. Um, <clears throat> but somehow um, Ham discredited his father. And Shem and Japheth then go in and put a, you know, put a cloak over them and go in backwards so that they don't have to see this, so that they honor their father. Verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the God, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. Okay, now this brings up, and I think we the next slide. Um, this shows the land then that is given, uh, divided between the three. And Japheth was, you know, the, the area more north, more north of, uh, you know, where they were at that time. And Shem would be um, where we would get the word Semitic from, okay? And so Shem, am I in your way? Do you see, okay, Bill? No. Okay, is that better? Okay, so Shem was down in the, <coughs> what is the Arabian Peninsula and his descendants, and then Ham, or the Hamites, were more south in Egypt and Ethiopia and, you know, in, the, uh, in what would be the African continent. Next slide, then. Here's just another way to look at it. So you see the, the, um, the Saf, uh, Japheth in the north, Shem, and then down into uh, Egypt. The next slide, too. We've got a few of these. So show kind of the same thing. Uh, and that's why we get, you know, when Abraham comes out of Ur the Chaldeans, um, that's a, a Semite area, or Shem, you know, the descendants of Shem uh, in the, around the Red Sea. And then the next one. And that kind of shows uh, the different, different people. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. That comes in chapter 10, um, <clears throat> where the different tribes settle. <clears throat> So Genesis 10.32 says, These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent, within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over all the earth after the flood. So that's what we see happening is that after the flood, then, they, they, they go to their separate corners, so to speak. And, but there's an interesting thing that's raised by this text. And that is, why did Noah... Um, <coughs> say what he did about Canaan. It wasn't Canaan that did it, it was Ham. You know, and Ham begat Canaan, and so, and Noah says, you know, cursed be Canaan. And, you know, the question is, why did he do that? Uh, and my, you know, my feeling about it is that Noah was being prophetic that the Canaanites would be subject to the Shemites. Okay? And so this sets the stage for the rest of the Old Testament in which there 
is this battle going on? If you remember, then the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan. Abraham was called to go from the Ur of the Chaldeans, a Semite area, up along the, um, up along the fertile, what, what's called the Fertile Crescent or Mesopotamia. He was called to go there into the land of the Canaanites. And so that sets the stage for everything that happens in the Old Testament then is Shemites, um, that the Canaanites serving the Shemites. And of course the Canaanites didn't, you know, just lie down. They, they fought them. But a lot of people, you know, have trouble with why, you know, why did the children of Israel, why did God tell the children of Israel to wipe out the Canaanites? Okay, well he did it because that was what, that fulfills this. That the Canaanites or the Hamites would serve the Shemites. And then also, the Canaanites were extremely sinful. Leviticus 18.2. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. And so God took the Semites, the the Israelites out of, out of Egypt and had them go into this, this land of Canaan and it was totally corrupt. And so that's, you know, that's why God did what he did. Uh, Exodus 23, 31, I will hand you over, <clears throat> over to you, the people who live in the land, and you will drive them out before you. You do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. So you see the whole, this whole uh, conflict then between the Canaanites and the Semites or Shemites is, is set up. And, that, and so the Semites then are the seed of Abraham and the Canaanites were particularly ungodly. Um, and, you know, and I say that because a lot of people really have trouble with that. Why did God do that? You know, is, is, why did God have them slaughter, in some, some cases, destroy every living thing? Well, it was because God was trying to protect and, and build a people for himself, draw a people to himself, and keep them from, from inheriting the, or being exposed to the sins of the Canaanites. Well, I want to spend a little, just a few minutes here talking about the covenants. There were seven major covenants. Next slide. Um, and you can't see this very well, but, um, but there's, there's seven major covenants that are given in the Old Testament. And the first is the covenant that we have here given to Noah, an unconditional covenant that, they, you know, that there would ne no longer be a flood to cover, to uh, destroy the earth. And then there were two covenants made with Abraham and about the land and that Abraham would go into the land and go into uh, Canaan and so on. And then there's the Sinaitic and the same kind of thing. And then a special covenant given to Phineas, who was a priest, that he would, there would always be one 
who would uh, be on, you know, a, there would be a priest after the lineage of, of uh, Phineas. And then there's the, which one is that? That's the Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant. And that one, uh, God spoke to David and said that there would, there would always be a, somebody from the lineage of David on the throne. So in other words, there would be an eternal kingdom come out of David. And Jesus, then we see, Jesus comes out of the lineage of David, out of the lineage of Abraham, and then, and then David. And then, and then there's the new covenant. And I want to just camp on that for a, a, a minute here. Jeremiah 31, 31 and following says this, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So all those are old covenants except for this, this, the new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And, and so God establishes this new covenant now with the nation of Israel. And he says that there's going to be coming a covenant. <clears throat> Up to that time, they had lived by the law. Okay? God drew a people to himself, gave them laws whereby they, you know, if you do these things, you will be blessed. If you don't, there's going to be problems. And then he says, but I'm going to bring a new covenant, and this new covenant is not going to be external. You need to do this. It's going to be internal. I'm going to change your hearts. And what does that speak of? Yeah, that's Jesus. Okay? So we, you know, when we celebrate communion, we celebrate the New Testament, right? And the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. What we're doing is we are celebrating that there is a new internal covenant, not an external covenant. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And then this, this uh, sentence here, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So the, the way is then paved to the New Testament where through the forgiveness of sins, we can have a personal relationship with the Lord God Almighty. All right? And that veil, remember when Jesus died, the veil is broken, is, is torn from, from top to bottom, and we have now access through the forgiveness of sins into the very presence of God himself. Matthew 5, 17, Paul says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus then becomes the fulfillment of all those Old Testament regulations, all the law and all the prophets. Everything pointed toward Jesus Christ. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So, um, I would like to applying this then, okay, the new covenant, and, and ask the question, and I really wrestled with this a lot this week, and this is this. So what do we have to give in our, the New Testament 
to a young Ukrainian mother fleeing with her two children from Russian forces inv invading her city of Kiev. What, what do we have to, you know, what, 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 did, what do we have to say to that woman? And she's, you know, she's had to take a train and go into western Ukraine and then, and then get out and go to Poland or someplace like that. What do we have to say to her? <clears throat> Number one, this world is not the way that God designed it to function. All right? That's what we've been studying, isn't it? That's what we've been talking about in Genesis. Is that this is not the way that God wanted it to be. I mean, this is not God's intention that there would be sin and corruption and murder and hatred and all this stuff that goes on. It's, this world is under the immediate control of Satan who seeks to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. He seeks, his, his whole agenda is to destroy everything. And we've seen, you know, the, the you know, if you have looked into the news at all, I mean, it's just total destruction. Satan is full of hatred, and this world can be an awful place when Satan is given free reign to bring destruction. There's a spiritual war going on in this world, and it gets really ugly. And it's getting really ugly right now. Ephesians 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And that's what we're seeing, isn't it? We're seeing, we're seeing darkness, hatred and bitterness and destruction everywhere and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And there is wickedness, evil, destruction, and hatred on this earth. God is ultimately in control, and Satan has a leash on him. He can go so far, as we learn from Job. But God's heart is to gather those who call upon Him and protect and bless them. God is good, and this is important, and He is on the side of those who suffer. And I, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's, it, it's always interesting to me that people who, who will not acknowledge God, when things go bad, blame Him. <laughs> blame Him for it. Um, and I think it's just simple theology that, that this world is on the, under the influence of Satan and God is the one who reaches into that world and says, come on, I want to bless you. I want to take you out of that. I want to show you my blessing. God is good. Number two, in this world, we're going to have trouble. All right? That's just the way it is. It's a dark world. God will bring justice on the earth God is just and God is merciful. Christ offers you, speaking to this mother, the forgiveness of your sins, eternal life, freedom from anxiety and grief, and a shoulder to cry on. God is on the side of those who are oppressed and who are being destroyed. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the good news, is that God is on the side of the suffering. Number three, the Lord is on your side. I would say to this woman, he loves you and wants to take you in his arms and comfort you. 
He wants you to bring your cares and hurts to him, and he wants to heal you and bless you even in the midst of great sorrow and tragedy. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. The place of safety is in the arms of the Lord who loves you beyond anything you can imagine. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. <clears throat> Verse 38, or Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All of which we're seeing in Ukraine right now, as a matter of fact. For I am convinced in verse 38 that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter how bad it gets, you cannot escape the love of God. Christ is with you. Christ cares for you. He's on your side. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. God is on the side of those who are hurting. And God brings compassion and comfort to them, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And that's not just a hollow promise. I mean, I, you know, I have seen time and again when there are, when there's tragedy that strikes, it's the Christians who are standing up. It's the Christians who are, who are going in there and, and offering aid. As we, we prayed this morning for um, a friend of mine, Valentin, and uh, they fled to the western part of Ukraine. They, they live down in Kherson which is, um, and they were part of, uh, he's the president of Tavriski Christian Institute that we prayed for. And, and so they fled to the western part of Ukraine, and now they are, they are filling up trucks. They have two whole huge trucks, truck, uh, no, two truckloads of humanitarian aid to send down to southern Ukraine, down to the Kherson region. And... They're, they can, the reason we prayed is they can't find a trucker who will go, <laughs> who wants to sacrifice his truck, you know, possibly get bombed. Um, but there's a lot of people suffering. Well, God is on their side. And God is not the one causing you to suffer, I would say to that woman. He's the one reaching out to you to bring you comfort. And rather than blaming God for the trouble, let's turn it around and ask God for relief. And, and let's, let's be those who can, who can help and bring relief and comfort and, and a shoulder to cry on for those who are in having difficulty. Number four, our hope is in heaven, not this earth or anything or anyone on this earth. With Christ, we can have eternal life and be gathered into his arms and live in a place where there's no more suffering and sorrow, where God will wipe all tears from our eyes. And sometimes, you know, we, we face those circumstances where the, the only thing we can say is, you know, this is really ugly, but this is not heaven. And, and, and we're headed for a really good place. We long for a place of safety and security and love and happiness 
Christ is right now preparing a place for us and for those Ukrainians. John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. For those who trust in Christ in Ukraine, God is preparing a place for them. And even though it gets really ugly, God is on their side, and he has a place for them. <clears throat> Revelation 21.4, I love this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is in the end. This is, this is in heaven now. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And there's coming a time when those who have suffered on this earth, that they are going to be dwelling in heaven where there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering. And that's what it means to be a Christian, is that we, we are going to that place. Number five, because Christ lives in us, we love you and we will do everything we can to help you in your time of need. We love you, pray for you, we'll roll up our sleeves to do what we can to help you to a place of safety. We are really sorry for what you're going through and we want to help, how can we help? So it's not just that, you know, kind of pleasant words, you know, go be warmed and fed. <laughs> but we're going to warm you and feed you. We're going to do what we can. James 2 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister who is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. I mean, so, you know, if you, if you tell those Ukrainians right now, you know, just go be warmed and fed, and it's okay. Without ourselves rolling up our sleeves and doing what we can. If you... If one who, of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not, if it is not accompanied by deeds, is dead. So part of what, um, you know, we need to be praying, God, what can we do? What's our part in this? How can we help them? There's a fund um, through Pantano Christian um, when I went, I actually went with Glenn Elliott uh, to Ukraine the first time I went. And, uh, and they have a fund that's set up for, um, for relief for these uh, Ukrainians. And they're, as I say, they're sending, they're sending in truckloads of relief uh, and, and goods and all kinds of stuff into, into the, you know, the besieged parts of Ukraine right now. And then they're taking people back out. So take goods in and take people back out. Last thing I would say is, and, uh, and if you want, I'm, it's, it's, right, it's on uh, Pantano's website. They have a, you know, a place where you can give, and then there's a special place for the work in Ukraine. Uh, Glenn, actually, Glenn actually helped start this Tavriski Christian Institute that's doing this work. Um, and then the last thing I would say is, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When it comes down to it, the thing that we can tell, whoever is going through whatever they're going through, however difficult it gets, come to Christ. Christ is the one who wants to 
uh, who wants to, is reaching out his hands to gather you in and to bless you. As it says in, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Um, and so what we have as Christians offer is um, Jesus is on your side. Come to him. Come to him. Let him wrap his arms around you because he cares for you. And then, as I said, and then the, the second thing is, and we care for you too, and we're going to do everything we can to try to help you. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words today. We thank you for the lessons that you teach us each and every day. And Lord, we ask as we go through these times of troubles that we know that you're there and we know that you can use all for good. So Lord, if, as, as we collectively are concerned and worry about those folks in the other part of the world that are being attacked. We know that there has to be a purpose and we know that you, are, you can be in control at any time. So please, show us your light, show us your guidance. 
that these things are wrong and they are not the way you would have us be. So Lord, we ask you and we beg you for your, for your guidance in, in our lives. This we ask in Jesus' name.